uh, everyone else, you can turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Um, that last hymn sort of goes with the theme of our scripture this morning. And so let me read this story. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to another, one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. When's the last time you felt overwhelmed by circumstances that were beyond your control? You know, I suspect all of us can think of some time in our life when we've experienced that. Sometimes life could be moving along peacefully and steadily for a while, and then with little or no warning, all kinds of things start to go wrong. Car breaks down, the fridge stops working, a friend calls or in the midst of a crisis, a loved one is sick or in the hospital, a colleague complains to your boss at work, a company announces layoffs, a relative expresses their unhappiness toward you, children start yelling at each other for no apparent reason. All kinds of troubles can rise up around us and threaten to overwhelm us. How do you deal with that? Now, personally, I find that if one or two things go wrong, I can usually handle it and stay pretty steady. But sometimes it seems like four or five things all go wrong in one day or in close succession. And then I very quickly start to feel the limits of my creaturely humanity, the limits of my patience, the limits of my clear thinking, the limits of my creativity and resourcefulness. And I think, just a couple days ago, I felt like things were just moving along, and now the wheels seem to be coming off. Sometimes adversity brings out the best in humans, but adversity can also bring out the worst in humans. Now, in the passage we just read, Jesus' disciples were faced with a circumstance that they were suddenly overwhelmed by circumstances beyond their control. So I want us to look at this story in three parts. First, the disciples' situation at the beginning. They found themselves in a great storm. Verse 37 says, a great windstorm arose. So a great storm. Second, Jesus' action in the middle, which produced what verse 39 says, a great calm. And third, the disciples' response at the end. Verse 41 says they were filled with great fear. So a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. I want us to look at the story in those three parts that Mark lays out for us. So first, a great storm. The story begins, it's a pleasant evening. 
Jesus has finished teaching for the day. He and his disciples are heading out for a little sunset boat ride across the lake. Sounds nice. Perhaps they were looking forward to a little time to themselves away from the crowd. Said Jesus had been teaching a very large crowd. In fact, verse 1 says he was teaching from the boat, which would have provided some natural amplification as well as a little bit of distance from this huge group of people. And so, verse 36 says, they took him in the boat just as he was. So he had interacted with people on the shore during the day, but he was teaching from the boat, finished teaching, and they said, let's just head directly off across the lake. But then, verse 37 tells us, a great windstorm arose. Now, the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, is large, several miles wide, several miles long. It's also 600 feet below sea level. But it's surrounded by high hills on to the north, west, and east. And in fact, to the east, there's a mountain just 30 miles away, Mount Hermon, that rises over 9,000 feet above sea level. And if you know anything about weather, when you have a huge elevation difference in a small geographical area, you can get some pretty bad storms because the cold air from on top of the mountain comes down and mixes with the hot air in the valley, and even today, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee uh, testify that sometimes storms can spring up with very little warning. So, that's what happened. Verse 37 says, the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. Now, in 1986, they, uh, people found the hull of a fishing boat at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, about five miles away from Capernaum. And scientists used carbon-14 dating, and they found that the boat dated back to the time of Jesus, somewhere between 120 BC and 40 AD is what they estimate. So, right, so it could have been a boat very much like that one that Jesus and his disciples were riding in. So this boat was 26 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high. It could fit about 15 people, had space for two rowers on each side, and uh, the boat also had a deck in the front, uh, in the bow, and in the back, in the stern, where someone could lie down. So Jesus' disciples likely traveled in a boat much like this one that uh, was found. And most likely the boat had belonged to one of Jesus' disciples. At least four of Jesus' disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen by trade, they owned a boat for their family business, and most likely they used the boat to carry Jesus and his disciples around. So these guys knew how to row. They had almost certainly encountered bad weather previously. They would often fish at night, so they were used to being out on the water at night. This was sort of like their backyard. This wasn't foreign territory. This wasn't somewhere they weren't used to being. This was right at home for them. And yet this storm threatened to completely overwhelm them. And, you know, if the boat was only four and a half feet deep, once it starts filling, you might be in trouble. And if the waves were high, they would have been crashing over the sides. I wonder, have you ever found yourselves overwhelmed by circumstances in the very area of life that you are most familiar with? Right? The disciples were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee, and right there, they were completely overwhelmed. 
Uh, Francis Collins, who's a biologist, tells a story about when he was in medical school. And he grew up in a non-religious household. He, growing up, he says he felt no need for God. He was, uh, his parents were well-educated, well-adjusted people. He had been very successful in college. He went on to a top medical school. He would later direct the Human Genome Project. Very successful guy. But in his third year of medical school, he started doing rotations in the hospital. And so he started interacting a lot with patients with different medical conditions, and he encountered many patients with terminal illnesses, untreatable illnesses. And some of these patients found deep peace through their faith in God. And he started to wonder, he said, he, he said if faith is just a crutch, it must be a very powerful crutch, and if it's just a cultural tradition, why are these people not shaking their fist at God when their hope for a better life on earth is quickly disappearing? And then one day he was talking to one of these patients and it was an older lady and she was suffering from severe untreatable angina, which is a very painful disease. And she asked him a question and she said, she was telling him about her faith in Jesus and then she turned to him and said, doctor, what do you believe? And he sort of didn't know how to answer that question. And it made him think, and he thought to himself, he wrote, this moment haunted me for several days. Didn't I consider myself a scientist? Does a scientist draw conclusions without considering the data? Could there be a more important question in all of human existence than is there a God? And yet there I found myself, having avoided any serious consideration that God might be a real possibility. So he found himself in his own area of expertise, doing what he had been trained to do for years, and confronted by a question that he couldn't answer. And that question started him on a long journey that eventually led him to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we find ourselves totally out of our depth in the area that we thought we were best equipped to handle in life. Even if we're not looking for God, we can find ourselves at the end of our own resources. We feel like our boat is filling up. I can't stay afloat on my own anymore. I need something more, even if I don't know what it is. Maybe that's partly what's brought you here today. If you feel like, gosh, I need something more, I'm not even sure what it is, but but I'm, I'm open to looking for something. Or maybe you've been a believer in Jesus for many years, and yet you have found yourself in a situation that feels completely overwhelming and unmanageable. Worse than anything you've ever faced in life so far. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, this passage points to a truth that is simultaneously unsettling and comforting. Look back in verse 35 for a moment and notice that Jesus is the one who said, let's go across to the other side. Jesus initiated the journey. He led them across the lake into the storm and then he went to sleep. Now at first that might seem very unsettling. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, these were his followers weren't they? Why would he lead them into an overwhelming and chaotic circumstance that was completely beyond their ability to manage? 
But here's the comforting part of that truth. If Jesus had led them into the storm, he could also lead them through and out of it. And the same is true for every follower of Jesus. If he's brought you into the storm, he's not unaware of it. He didn't get surprised by it. And he can bring you through it, and he can bring you out of it. So that's the disciple situation. They find themselves in the midst of a great storm. But second, let's consider what Jesus does for his disciples. Verse 38 and 39, Jesus' action produces a great calm. Now at first, the storm is raging, and Jesus is fast asleep. You know, I think Mark's showing us here that Jesus was fully human, just as human as we are. He wasn't a magical energizer bunny that always kept going and never felt tired. He wasn't an angel or a ghost who just appeared and then disappeared, but never really felt anything. No, Jesus was fully human. That means he lived within a fully human body just like the physical bodies that you and I inhabit. Jesus had taught a large crowd outdoors for a whole day with no microphone and probably little or no shade. Now, I don't know if you've done public speaking, but public speaking can be exhausting. I've never taught a crowd outdoors for hours and hours for an entire day with no shade and no microphone. I, I, I haven't had an experience like that, but I can only imagine that would be exhausting at the end of the day. And Jesus felt exhausted. He conked out right there in the boat, probably on that little deck in the back of the boat. And he didn't wake up even when the wind picked up and the storm was raging. So Jesus was fully human, just as fully human as we are. But at the same time, Mark also shows us that Jesus is fully divine. Because what does he do in the next verse? He speaks to the wind and the waves, and they obey his voice. And that's something that only God can do. Have you ever tried speaking to the weather? It won't listen to you. It doesn't care about your opinion. It's going to do what it's going to do. You can try to predict it. We've gotten a little better about predicting the weather, still not that great, but we can't control the weather. But here, Jesus speaks, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, the miracle wasn't just that the wind stopped, because sometimes a storm comes up suddenly and then the wind stops, but what usually happens if it's been really stormy and the waves are going crazy and then the wind stops. Well, the waves keep going crazy for a little while. It's pretty choppy for, for quite a while. But it says not only did the wind stop, but the sea was calm. There was a great calm. You see, Jesus did something here that a mere human being could not do. There's no way that a mere human being could do that. And so Mark's showing us that at the same time, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. It's not one or the other. It's not half and half, but it's both. You see, Jesus is fully human. He's right there in the boat with us. 
He feels the same things that we experience, hunger, thirst, tiredness, and yet he's uniquely able to save us. He's able to do what only God can do. Now, perhaps at this point you might be thinking, okay, this is an interesting story, but is there any reason to believe that this is more than a fairy tale? Well, look back for a moment at verse 36. I skipped a sentence, and I bet you didn't notice. Because the sentence is, and other boats were with him. Now, at one level, this comment about other boats is totally unnecessary. Matthew and Luke tell the same story. They don't mention the other boats at all. The other boats are only mentioned in verse 36, and then we don't know what happens to them. Did they get caught in the middle of the storm too? How did they fare? Or did they turn off and go a different direction and land at the shore before the storm started? We don't know. So why would Mark include this seemingly unnecessary detail? Well, if Mark was just making up a fictional story that had never really happened, if he was just writing a beautiful parable to illustrate a spiritual truth, he would have no reason to add in this comment about other boats. Because it doesn't add anything to the meaning of the story, and it raises an unanswered question of what happened to all these other boats. But it's the kind of detail that someone who had been there might mention if he was retelling the story. Now, Mark wasn't one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but so he hadn't been there himself, but there's good evidence that Mark based his gospel largely on the stories that he heard Peter tell. And in fact, we have writings from church leaders in the second century in France, in Egypt, and in Turkey, several different parts of the world, they all agree. They say Mark was the disciple and interpreter of Peter. Mark handed on Peter's preaching to us in written form. So if Peter, who had been there on the boat, was telling this story, then verse 36 makes sense. Because Peter was just telling it as he remembered it. Yep, we set out, there were other boats there too, and then we hit this great storm. And other details in the story also make sense if it came from someone who had been there. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. There's another specific detail that's not necessary to the story. Again, you can read Matthew and Luke's account. They don't mention those specific details. So you don't need those details to make the story, but those details are the kind of details that if you had been there and seen Jesus sleeping on that cushion, you would tell it because it's how you saw, it's how you saw it. And if, one more, again, verse 38. Notice how rudely the disciples speak to Jesus. They don't say, Lord, please save us. They say, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. We're going to die and you don't care. They're not very polite. Not very respectful. Not very trusting. But of course, right, when people are frustrated, when people are desperate, they're not often very polite. It's pretty realistic. It's just how people talk. So it's a very realistic description from someone who had actually been through it. All those are hints. Mark didn't just make up this story. He reported it from somebody who had been there, who had been through it himself. So 
We see a great storm, the disciples' situation. We see Jesus' action that produces a great calm. And third, we see the disciples' response. Verse 41 says they were filled with great fear. Jesus' disciples were not immediately comforted, relieved, and reassured when the storm was stilled. No, Jesus' presence and Jesus' power was deeply unsettling to his disciples. They were even more afraid of Jesus at the end of the story than they had been of the storm in the middle. Filled with great fear. And in some ways, this reaction was entirely appropriate because they were beginning to really grapple with the question of who Jesus is. And they were realizing, that's the question they asked at the end, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're beginning to really wrestle with who is this Jesus who's sleeping with us in the boat at one moment and who commands the wind and the waves at the next moment and they obey him. You see, Jesus is not like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. He's not just a feel-good figure who gives out presents and candy and poses for nice photo ops and gives you a pat on the back and goes on his way and comes back next year. Jesus claims to be Lord of all. And when we really grapple with who Jesus claims to be, we will rightly feel some trepidation, just as we would in the face of Niagara Falls or Mount Everest. But at the same time, Jesus doesn't just leave his disciples in this state of great fear. Verse 40, he leaves them with a question. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, when facing an overwhelming situation, Jesus' disciples were panicking, losing heart, and accusing him of not caring about them at all because they lacked faith. In other words, they lacked confidence in his power and in his goodness. Many years ago, I had a pastor who said to me, half of people's problems come from one of two things, either not believing that God is sovereign and powerful or not believing that God is good and that he's for us. How do you respond when you're overwhelmed by circumstances beyond your control? Do you feel panic, as if God is not in charge anymore? Do you accuse God of not caring, of not being good? Notice, Jesus rescued his disciples even though they didn't trust him, even though they were rude to him, even though they accused him of not caring for about them at all. Look at how merciful he is. He doesn't rebuke them for how they spoke to him. He just, he calms the storm. Jesus is so merciful, even when we panic, even when we lose heart. But he invites us to trust him. Amidst the chaos, amidst the confusion, amidst the dangers, amidst the storms. In the second and third century, Christians in the city of Rome were being persecuted, and so they met underground in the catacombs. And sometimes they would make little drawings or paintings on the walls that expressed their faith, often in subtle and symbolic ways. And one of these images that they drew on the walls was an image of a boat in a storm-tossed sea, representing the church, those who believed and trusted in Jesus. It represented their faith that no matter what storms might come, 
Jesus had promised to preserve his church, his people. I put one of those images on the front of today's bulletin. You know, usually we have sort of a little drawing of our church building, but this is sort of a different representation of the church. And later on, in the fourth century, Christians started building church buildings because they needed larger places to meet, and they built them in the shape of an upside-down boat. And they called the main part of the church, like the part we would be sitting in right now, the nave. That word nave comes from a Latin word novice or boat, which means boat, where we get the word navigate. You see, every time you walk into a traditional church building, it's meant to remind you that Jesus is right here in the boat with us. And that when we come and meet with him and trust in him, that he has promised to sail with us and carry us all the way through, no matter what storms we face. Isaiah 43 says this, Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship and praise you. We praise you that you came and took on our human nature. Lord, that you were right with your disciples, right there in the boat. We thank you that you know what it is like to feel thirsty and hungry, and tired and weary, to feel overwhelmed. And yet, Lord, you are fully human, but you are also fully God. Our Savior with the power to command even the wind and the waves. With the power to sustain us, to give us your peace. Lord, help us to trust you. It took so long for your disciples to learn to trust you. Here you still said to them, have you still no faith? And yet... They would eventually have faith after they had seen you do many things. And especially after they saw you die on the cross and rise again. So Lord, help us. Help us when we are tempted to fear, to panic, to trust in our own resources. That we would instead trust in you. And that you would carry us through. We pray that you would do that for us as a church. Pray that we would learn to trust you as we sail in the boat together. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.